Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey, everyone. We're going to start the show in just one second. But first, today's Bob Seska show is brought to you by our Patreon page. In case you're not aware, we produce four podcasts every week. That means a new show every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Now, you might be wondering why you don't see the Friday show on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher, etc. Well, that's because our Friday After Party podcast, with all of its revealing discussions about sex, drugs, rock and roll, and politics, is only available through our Patreon page. So please help support this show by subscribing to our Friday After Party for just $10 a month. Plus, you get two postmortem shows every damn week. That's bobseskashow.com, or just click the all-caps Patreon link beneath the logo at bobseska.com. And now, let the cartoons begin. Broadcasting from Resistance Headquarters. Relentlessly fighting back against the clown dictator and his regime of deplorables. Never give up, never surrender. This is the Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, September 2, 2020, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. For today's show, we're rewinding all the way to June when I spoke with the great Jen Kirkman about dealing with COVID and self-isolation and the anxiety it can manifest in all of us, including the anxiety from, of course, the Trump crisis. So incredibly helpful. If you like what you hear, sign up for Jen's Anxiety Bites newsletter at l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash Jen Kirkman. And don't forget to follow Jen's amazing Instagram, at Jen Kirkman. Links in the description of bobseska.com. Meanwhile, make sure to go shopping to our Amazon link at bobseska.com, and we'll collect a tiny commission on your purchases. Okay, let's go back in time and talk with Jen. Oh, hi. I didn't see you there. What a seamless beginning. Oh, hi. I was just sitting here. And... It's the best thing in the world. Know. That is just one of my favorite <laughs> things ever. I always look forward to your videos on Instagram for precisely that joke. And every time it happens, I always laugh out loud. Oh, I didn't see you there. It's just so great. It's such you a know, great way to start. I stole that from somebody. I don't know who. I think it's almost um, public property at this point. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, the only word I can think of is meme because my, you know, I'm 12 times dumber than I used to be just because I'm in the modern age, but it's mm. uh, I, I want to say community property, a classic, you know, the turning around in your chair. Oh, hi. I didn't see you there. I mean, I yeah. definitely didn't make it up, but I'll keep doing it until someone sues me. It's a crowd pleaser. Yeah. Somehow, Jen, it's been a year and a half, almost two years since the last time we talked on the show. You know, we, we spent... A lot of time, uh, maybe about 15, 20 minutes before we actually started the show, trying to work out the technology. And it's one of those frustrating things where I feel like 
with the Zoom meetings and everyone doing video now because of quarantining and the coronavirus and everything. It's really underscoring how crappy the technology is, isn't it? Because it seems like you get a whole room of people on video and, and they're talking over each other and the audio gets muted and some people don't know how to work their cameras. And it's just you'd think by 2020 we'd have this worked out, right? Yes. And I was telling you off air, I worked at a dot-com company in the year 2000 and 2001 in mm-hmm. New York City. And, you know, laptops were becoming the norm. And that's what my boss was telling us, you know, of the future is going to be working from home. And as someone who was working, you know, a day job because I was pursuing my comedy at night, I thought, God, yeah. that, that's going to be great. I can't wait <laughs> until this working from home happens. It seems like any minute now. And then it never did. And I'm like, so did they figure out, is it really true that productivity is better when people are in the office or creativity? Mm. Is, it, is it really just that innocent or is it something more sinister? Is there some capitalist? Yeah. I don't know what even I'm saying, but there, is there some, someone needs us working from the office for some reasons where it makes a bunch of different people more money. And so they didn't want to make the technology better. That's my half big conspiracy theory for the day yeah well you know what i wouldn't be surprised (laughs) at all if there was some sort of corporate interest in making sure we don't work from home because it seems to me as if i mean i'm looking at this as a as a ceo you put yourself in the head of these soulless mindless automatons at the top of the heap in some of these corporations (laughs) and and they're thinking in terms of oh well everyone's gonna be at home goofing off no one's ever gonna put on clothes there's gonna be a bunch of uh, layabouts in their pajamas talking on video screens and and scamming us pretending to do work when they're actually not doing a whole lot of work and then billing us for 40 hours a week or whatever it is on the invoice so i think maybe that has something to do with it I, i don't know that those powers that be have necessarily gotten together and conspired to make the video technology so utterly crappy even now that we're 30 years into this technology. I mean, it really hasn't improved at all and it, and it drives me crazy. And so sometimes I just go, ah, oh, fuck it. I don't care. I'm not, I just, I'll call you on the phone. <laughs> we'll just do the telephone thing again. Exactly. Get a tin can. Let's just get back to basics. <laughs> yes, and by the way, right. I would say most people are goofing off at the office trying to look busy mm-hmm. because someone's walking by. You know, when I write from home, I, when I'm writing, I'm writing. And when I'm not, I'm not. But when I'm not, I'm actually doing things that foster creativity that, you know, you have to procrastinate a little, maybe water your plants or do some laundry or yeah. something and I'm actually getting things done as opposed to sitting at a desk trying to look <laughs> like I should be an employee. Yeah. Maybe there's no conspiracy, but then you say, well, what if it's an oil conspiracy? They want us on our cars commuting. Come on, Bob. <laughs> I know. Someone God. run with this. That, yeah, that didn't occur to me. That's also a good point. It might become one of those meatless Mondays kind of things where yeah. People will work from home one day a week or two days a week or something like that because Mm. I think it seems to me that a lot of people, except for the people that have to homeschool, but once the kids are back in school, that people are enjoying spending more time with their family and realizing how much time they've spent commuting instead of eating dinner at a normal hour or whatever. So I think I think good stuff can come out of it, but they have to make they have to make the technology better. I can't. I'm lucky. I don't have to do too many Zoom meetings, but I I do them sometimes. and you know what's the new thing that's happening is things that used to be a phone call are becoming Zoom meetings. Yeah. Like, I'm, I, I was writing on a, a TV show this year, uh, like December through March, and when the network calls to give you notes, that's always a phone call. 
Mm-hmm. So that way you put them on speaker and you roll your eyes with everybody and make the jerk off motion and put, give the finger to the phone and be like, oh, yeah, these notes, we're not doing any of that. And then they're like, let's do a Zoom meeting. It's like, wait, why do we have to look at each other now? We never used to look at each other. So every kind of call, and it's ruining it. Now you can't make faces about them. So every kind of call now I feel is turning into Zoom. Even when friends are like, let's chat sometime this week. I'll Zoom you. I'm like, wait, what? why can't we just talk on the phone? Although I do like to Zoom people because I'm, I'm quarantining by myself. It's nice to actually see people. Oh, yeah. Along those lines, how's your mom doing? Are you able to at least, uh, are you doing just regular phone calls with your mom? Or have you, like, instructed her oh, how yeah. to use Zoom or something like that? Oh, God. No. I got my, my parents are 82. And that's the only part of them that's 82 is the technology. Everything else. <laughs> they are vibrant. They are running around. They are funny. They don't sound old. They don't have health problems. They go to the casino. My mom is really fun, funny, uh, but they just don't do technology. And I got them. Have you heard of the skylight frame? No. What is that? I haven't heard of that. Well, free advertising for skylight, by the way, I got them (laughs) one for Christmas. It's almost like a digital frame where Mm -hmm. you're, but what happens is you email. So if I, my sisters and I text each other all day long photos, here's this, here's that, here's what I'm doing. And my parents don't get to see any of this. And mm-hmm. they have a computer, but oh, they don't know how to zoom on it. None of that's happening. Yeah. I swear it might be dial-up. I haven't been to their house in a long time. We usually all congregate at my sister's house when I go home. So I got them this skylight frame for Christmas. I thought it would be great. They can put it in their living room. And when I have a picture that I would normally text them, if they were to have a cell phone like that, uh, I send the picture to an email address on Skylight. So as my mom's sitting there, bloop, a picture will pop up. And then it just is part of the picture frame now. It scrolls and there's pictures of her children and, you know, scrolls all day long. Yeah. And uh, you can email them pictures and videos and they don't have to do a thing. It's on all day. Once you turn it on, you never have to turn it off for the rest of your life. You just have to one time put in your Wi-Fi password. Wow. And... My parents don't know what it is. We have to call our computer guy. I'm like, what computer guy? And then they'll get all upset. Hey, we don't computer know guy. these things, Jennifer. Jennifer, <laughs> we don't need all this. And it's like they're crying. I asked my mom if she had a Wi-Fi password. She, she was so just discombobulated. I was like, you know what? Forget it. My sister will come over. I got them for Christmas. They really loved it. They mm. stayed a week at my sister's. I showed them how it worked. They were having a ball. Then they went back to their house. My sister was supposed to visit at some point and put in their Wi-Fi password. And then the pandemic happened and no one's going to their house. So, but we talk on the phone, you know, once a week, sometimes more. They email, which is good. Yeah. But they're doing great. I'm really happy that they're obeying. I'm just loving it. Well, they're they're normals, right? I mean, they're not Fox News people. Uh, yeah, uh. Uh, oh, uh, what? Oh, oh, what? Oh, 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 oh. Really? My dad, yeah. So my dad is Fox News, very into Trump. And oh, it's no. the heartbreak of my life. Heartbreak uh. of my life because he is a greenskeeper of a golf course. Mm-mm. And he always told me we do not trust owners of golf courses. And uh, they are the assholes of the world. And, you know, I think my dad hit his head. I'm not joking. I mean, he's fine now. But he could have died about seven years ago, hit his head, Jesus. had this uh, cranial surgery, not brain surgery, but it, it almost uh, made him like he had dementia for a year. And he's oh, fine. I, I'm not even going to say he's never been the same. He can drive. He's fine. Yeah. But I swear to God, he was a smoker for, since he was 14. He hit his head at 75. Hmm. Uh, 
he stopped smoking. He lost the urge completely. He doesn't even remember what it's like. And he got like addicted to Fox News. Uh, so like so there's there, there's an upside and then there's a downside. So if you yeah. if you get so, hit on the head just the right way, you may be able to quit yeah. smoking. But you also have to. I mean, I wonder what the trade off is. I mean, are you cool with that trade off that? Well, we got him to no. quit smoking, but there's Fox News. Because no. I have a feeling he smoked until 75 and had zero health problems because of it. He might have been one of those ones that just gets off scot free. Yeah. And, you know, of course, I do talk to my parents about race and about everything. And I. I have disowned, um, or I'd say socially distanced, my extended relatives who voted for Trump because there are some, and we're not rich people. This has been very confusing to me. We are, I think it's probably a race thing. It's probably a working class thing where they mm-hmm. became aspirational and they didn't want to identify with anyone talking about the working class. You know, um, we used to talk about the middle class, and that's when people in my family would vote Democrat, Democratic. Mm-hmm. And now it's like there's rich and there's working class and they don't want to identify with the working class. So they're, and it's a whole psychological thing. And I'm very aware of the fact of, Oh, I'm just this white person. That's like, I still love my dad, but I will not. I know my father's heart. I know who he is. And we don't, I told him, if you ever talk to me about politics, I will not talk to you ever again. And he doesn't. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Family first. Yeah. Family first with us. He will sometimes email me things coming from a very much a place of fear. You know, don't go to the protest. I mean, the good news is he does think that these cops are out of control. He does believe, you know, they're murderers. Like he's not, we've never been gun people. You know, we're not those people, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's, I, he's a lost cause. I cannot talk to him about this. Now, my mom was very anti-Hillary and I think for her, it was an internalized sexism. Mm-hmm. And my mom is very old school. She doesn't really talk about who she votes for. So I'm not sure if she just didn't vote or voted for Trump. I don't know. But I know that this time she has told me she definitely won't be voting for Trump. And now she hates him. But my mom's always been kind of an intellectual and she voted for Obama. And she's um, very smart and very empathetic and reads everything. Like any hot new book that's out that's, you know, you know what I mean. But those people that are always up on the latest fiction or she reads things outside of her experience about Mm -hmm. different races, different cultures. I can talk to her about anything. My parents growing up, you know, we were Catholic, but not religious. And they accepted my gay friend who came out whose parents didn't accept him. They, you know, they've never, I brought them to New York city. They loved it. When they are around people different from them, they come to life. They get so Mm -hmm. excited. And so I, I know their heart and, and it's like, yes, ultimately is it, white supremacy, this won't affect me. Of course, of course, of course. But um, they are not wealthy people. They are very, they, I would say, not even middle class. You know, they're working class. They're working class, yeah. uh, But the the thing is, like, so anyway, but he's not a yelling, screaming, we just don't talk about it. And Mm -hmm. he did send me an email about the protest. He said, I hope you're not going because of the group, like he mentioned the groups that are going to infiltrate and cause trouble. He wasn't like black people are looting. I mean, listen, it's a small victory, but yeah, you know, he probably thinks there's something called Antifa. He didn't say it, but at least he's sort of right that the people causing the looting are the white kids coming in from the suburbs mm-hmm. um, and not, Oh my God. But anyway, besides that, you know, I remember when Adam Carolla said women aren't funny. My dad wrote an essay and asked me to put it on my website. 
Yeah, really. And it was this thoughtful essay about women understand men, but men don't understand women, and they don't want to, and they will never find women funny. He meant this in a feminist way. Yeah. Um, and that men are very threatened by this. And it was like, this is a 70-year-old man who didn't go to college from, you know, born in the 30s. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know where this... So, you know, that's who I know my dad to be. He's this bizarre mix of things. And But I do know at the end of the day, deep in my heart, do I believe he's a working-class guy who felt weird when a black man became president? I do. Yeah. I really do. I, I think with a lot of people's parents right now who happen to watch Fox News Channel, it's a challenge to reconcile what we observe on a daily basis versus what they're believing now because of Fox News Channel. My mom has never watched Fox News a day in her life. She's very like, you read the newspaper and you can watch CNN because it's pretty much reminds her of the news that she grew up watching where just someone says, here's the news and there's no opinion either way. And she has not fallen for anything. And she's very much believes in coronavirus and Dr. Fauci. And so does my dad. So that's what's strange is certain things get through to my dad that make sense. Like he believes very much in the coronavirus and other things he, I think, watches to soothe himself. I think, and that I think might be where his shortcomings come in. I, I, he does watch Fox mm. and he has given up on some of the hosts that I, I don't know who they are, but I feel like over the last few years, a couple hosts, yeah. Maybe like your Shepard Smith, who was always a little neutral, would say something and he would write that guy off. So he's he is and he's susceptible to online things. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just watches it all day long. And so that's what I mean for someone who does. I'm, I'm still pretty impressed <laughs> with yeah. that he's not a ranting lunatic. But, yeah, no, he's 24 seven with it. <laughs> and a lot of times he will turn it off and just watch reruns of sitcoms and, and stuff like that. But it's I'd say it consumes a few hours of his day at least. I, you know, I wanted to ask you too, Jen, are you completely exhausted from stress and anxiety right now because of everything that seems to be collapsing on our heads simultaneously? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and that's not to sound, that's not to sound insensitive, but what's been really interesting and genius for me, mm-hmm. just for me is I've had anxiety and panic disorder since I was eight and it was undiagnosed until I was 22. Yeah. So I lived in a, a horror show of a personal private hell. I can only imagine that it feels similar to being in the closet and being mm-hmm. like, if I tell people it's, it's all over, you know, I thought having anxiety was crazy and that crazy meant you live in an institution. So I yeah. thought I'm keeping myself from an institution by keeping this a secret. And it got to where my life was completely unmanageable hmm. and, you know, coping skills to cope with anxiety, whether it's any, anything, anything from avoiding things to being emotionally reactive to whatever were traits that I kept well through my twenties and thirties. Yeah. And I've spent a lifetime working on anxiety, overcoming it, therapy, meditation, spiritual programs, uh, blah, blah, blah. So that now I almost have that, you know, and I have a, a thing. I wake up every morning and I do my things. I won't start the day unless I begin my, you know, not because I'm feeling anxiety, but as a preventative. And then when I feel anxiety, I go into my things that I do. So mm-hmm. my whole point is, um, for me, 
I feel I've prepared my whole life to actually, this happened on 9-11 as well. I was, I was a, a next level kind of able to function without it overtaking me. Um, yeah. But two quick things. I did feel a ton of anxiety when Corona first started, when we first started locking down. And mm-hmm. that was just because I was having some symptoms. I had just flown. I was really scared that I had it. And I, I had a physical anxiety that was so intense where I, didn't want to fall asleep because I didn't want to wake up and feel those crushing symptoms. I know yeah. that doesn't, that's not how to fight Corona by staying up all night, but that, so I had that. And then the other thing is that last year I had a really difficult year. I, I left the job. I was writing on marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I left that job. Didn't write on season three, which would have been last year because it was in New York. I'm in mm-hmm. LA it was getting, getting expensive and living expenses and, I had all the faith in the world that something would come through and it never did. <laughs> and no. so I didn't work for 14 months and oh I was on the God. road, but I was kind of losing money on tour. So I was down to the last of my savings by Christmas, by, oh by December, God. Thanksgiving. Yeah. Sorry. This past Christmas, this past yeah. Thanksgiving. Wow. Yeah. And I thought, Oh, well, this is it. Like I'm going to have to, you know, and I got a writing job and it saved my butt and I, I did that. So my whole point is that last year I was rethinking doing the road because it, it, I've always hated um, having a writing job and doing the road. It's just too much busyness. I don't like to be that busy. I, mm-hmm. but I realized that the road is not a viable thing for me right now. It's just not lucrative enough. You know, look, it breaks everyone's heart when I say this, I just don't have a big enough audience anymore. So for me, it oh, was all about crazy. get writing work, stay home, stay stable. And so I had my pandemic, I'm not working, last year. Hmm. And then this year, I weirdly had a job from December through April and was working from home anyway. Like So I was already kind of doing the shelter-in-place thing, and I knew that I would be okay financially for a little bit. Yeah. So in that way, I'm not. Now, everything else... Um, the racism that's bubbling up in America, uh, not bubbling up, but that has always been there. Yeah. I'm looking at my part. What, what have I thought I was doing that I wasn't? And, mm-hmm. but that for me has been a, not anxiety producing, but very quiet contemplative thing. So yeah, so there's that. And I feel very anxious about the election, mm-hmm. but for some reason I'm not feeling it in my soul and in my body. I'm, I'm a little bit, And I don't mean detached from following the news or taking care of others or donating or getting the work, nothing like that. I'm just, I'm just detached. I'm not like playing, I'm not following into my emotions about it because I, I can't, I, I, I'm by myself. I'm, I've got to, I'm allowed to have some joy and I'm allowed to use this moment to figure out what I really want to do. Cause I, I wanted to change course in my career anyway. And Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> I wrote this big, like 10 page long anxiety email. And if anyone needs help, uh, I send out this form letter. Like I really actually want to move into a space where like, what if that became a job for me? Like somehow working with people with anxiety and whatever. So all that to be said, I actually don't, but I, I'm aware of it and I'm afraid of the anxiety that might come mm-hmm. closer to the election or God forbid if Trump wins. I think everyone's thinking about that too. It, it just seems like everything is happening all at the same time. And for people who 
had the same disorder, who have generalized anxiety disorder, uh, this has got to be a, a, a bloody nightmare for all of those people. I mean, you wrote a piece on your blog about generalized anxiety disorder. What is the difference specifically between just the feeling of anxiety and actually having an anxiety disorder? I think it's similar to depression. I had a doctor tell me once that, you know, let's say somebody dies and you have a breakup, you will actually be clinically depressed for, you know, if it lasts more than six weeks. It yeah. doesn't mean for the rest of your life, that's your diagnosis. So I think that someone who never had generalized anxiety disorder might find themselves, you know, like if you, if you experience a period of anxiety longer mm-hmm. than a couple of weeks, now you might I don't mean you have it and now you have it for the rest of your life, but that might be what you're experiencing. It's kind of, I mean, I think it all feels the same. Yeah. Um, My only thought is that I think most people have anxiety and most people handle it by staying busy or staying in their heads or, you know, poo-pooing people who take care of it or thinking that meditation means relaxing or whatever. And I think that most people now are realizing they've always been anxious. Yeah, you know, and they can't do their coping skills of commuting and being busy and and uh, and hustling and grinding. I'm loving that this is maybe killing that kind of hustle culture a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so I don't know. I think I think anxiety can be really physical, you know. And the basic thing is our sympathetic nervous system, which I think sounds nice, like it's trying to help us. It's like, ah, I'm sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's help. But it's a little disordered when you're anxious. Yeah, And so you're going into fight, flight, or freeze when there is nothing happening. You're just sitting on your couch. There's no bear coming in, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, and so you have to activate the parasympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system, which I think the paramedics are coming, right? It's like, I have to break it down in baby terms because it really soothes me to talk to myself like that. Yeah. So if I think, oh my God, I'm anxious. I think, oh my God, my body's trying to help, but it's just getting it wrong. It's sympathetic. Let's get the parasympathetics in here. And then you calm yourself down, whether it's a form of breathing or just looking at an object and mm-hmm. grounding yourself. It's, it's called grounding yourself. But so I think it's very simple. And I think ge- whether it's generalized, you've had your whole life or whether it's situational, I think it's all the same. And I actually feel bad for the people that have never had anxiety. That's why I wrote about it and asked people to email me because they're so confused and they, they don't know how to talk about it. And yeah. so I think for a lot of people, anxiety is actually a coping skill. And so I always say, put on your shoes that you had when you were five years old and try to walk around in them because people insist, I've always done things this way. Well, it doesn't mean it's good, you know? And mm. so you got to get new shoes. And so I think a lot of people will go, well, I can't get better because my anxiety is really bad. Like you see this defense come up where people, they're kind of fighting to keep their anxiety because that keeps them safe. And I don't blame them if that's the thing that, if you get anxious about stuff, you know your own response. You don't yeah. have to actually react in real time to new and scary stimuli, but it can kind of keep you stuck. As a creative person, do you find that, or, or did you find that anxiety kind of pushed you forward a little bit more than you would have otherwise? Or is, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is there an upside to it? I, my anxiety was so debilitating. I couldn't do anything, but what was interesting was I can... Well, you know, it's actually kind of interesting to say that I don't believe people need their anxiety to help them do anything better. Yeah. Okay. Um, people can get rid of it and they will be as creative as the day is long. It, it just might be interesting 
in other words, I used to be so anxious that the way to make myself happy, because it felt so horrifying to be anxious, would be go out every night and do comedy, or even as a little kid, mm-hmm. play with my friends and do crazy things. Because I lived this double life, abject terror and anxiety, or complete happiness and woo, fuck it, you know? Yeah. And so now I live a more balanced life, but I got to be honest, like, I don't always have the urge to go be funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's okay. I, I feel creative in other ways. Like there's more room in my head for lots of things and different things interest me. But I, I think, no, you know, last year when I wasn't working and I had to self-start on a lot of projects, I, I couldn't, I'm, I personally don't get more creative when I'm anxious, but I get a case of the buckets, which sometimes can help. Like, <laughs> if that makes sense. You yeah, know? I know those quite well. I know the cases of the buckets. I have yeah, routine can, cases of buckets. Yeah. Like, don't you think if sometimes you're just like, I don't know, fuck it. Let's see if this. If you're feeling just horrible about the world, and it's like, well, you know what? Like, fuck it. Maybe I'll just fuck it. Like, I'll say this, or I'll open my mind creatively to this. Or I, I don't know how to explain it, but mm-hmm. I wasn't. I was listening to something. And I thought was really gorgeous was there's this podcast I love called 10% Happier with Dan Harris. He's a ABC newsman and he had a panic attack on air years ago. Wow. And he was kind of an adrenaline junkie. He was in all the, you know, reporting on the wars and, you know, partied on weekends and had a panic attack on air. You can look up, look it up on YouTube. Now, most people, it's not really visible to the naked eye, but to him, it was, felt really big. Mm-hmm. And he started meditating and he does this podcast. He talks to all the big meditation people but he did a recent episode about the uncomfortable talking about race. And he talked to um, a guy, his name is, he's an official Buddhist, his name Rama Rod, or I forget his last name, but he's black and gay. And he was talking to Dan, who's white and straight. And Lama Rod was saying, okay, so I don't want to just be interviewed about what white people can do about this. I want to have a conversation. And so he would say something like the trauma of the years of police brutality and, you know, growing up in a system that I didn't consent to. And then Dan would respond, yes, I'm curious. Let me, I want to interrogate that for a minute. And Dan from his heart was open-minded and, yeah. and Rod said, no, that's really, let's have an honest conversation about what's happening in our bodies. He's like, my heart's racing mm-hmm. and I'm feeling really tense because I'm being negated right now. I'm talking about my feelings and my trauma and you're in your intellect. Hmm. which is white supremacy, not calling Dan a white supremacist, but saying that without even knowing it, white people go to their heads to cope. And what Rod was asking Dan to do is get into your heart. How does that feel when someone black says this to you? That's also a difference between men and women. I find that men tend to go for, let's figure out how to solve this problem. And then women go to uh, their hearts, I think a little more often. I'm speaking generally, of course, but that's Generally, kind of also an aspect. True. And I think that might be a case. I mean, it's interesting you said that that might be a case because women, even white women, are an other of sorts, right? Mm-hmm. But interesting for me is when I would talk about feminism online, I would be like, I just got harassed for the 50th time. Yeah. I live in a different world than you guys. This is what it feels like. And guys would write back, I'm curious or just asking or what. I'm, I'm like, I didn't know why it was so triggering, but listening to this podcast, I realized it just feels negating. And I realized as a white person, I've done that in talking to black friends and black colleagues. I want to, you know, kind of look like I know what I'm talking about and I want to be real keyed in and make sure everyone knows I'm an ally. 
And I've definitely talked from the top of my head instead of in my heart. But it's not like I have to go start wailing and screaming and like, I'm sorry. But it's more being honest and saying, well, I'm really uncomfortable right now. I'm not sure yeah. uh, what to do. You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And just being honest and, and having two souls connect. And so all tying that back to anxiety is I've been trying to really, after hearing that podcast, it really inspired me. Like, how am I still doing that as mm-hmm. a white person? And I'm doing it a lot. And so I'm, I just, Last week I sat and it, and it wasn't anxiety. I felt it was a broken heart. I felt that same broken heart. I felt um, maybe after 9-11, definitely after Trump was elected. And then I had to say, is my heart broken because when it's not fun anymore because I've been getting away with ignoring stuff. And even if I haven't been totally ignoring it, like still a level that I get to ignore race if I want to on any given day. Um, and I relate when yeah. When people say that to me, because as a woman, I don't get to ever not be a woman. And so I had to look, I've just had a broken heart all week, and I've had to interrogate myself. Is this like, where where the fun's over, or is this actual empathy for others? I think it's leaning more towards empathy, but, you know, I've been sitting home asking myself these questions, and hopefully by doing that, it'll bring about my next actions, which which will help. But, so yeah, I mean, my anxiety, I'm, I'm trying to... Anytime I have any kind of anxiety, I try to bring it into my feelings. Okay, we'll get back to our conversation with Jen Kirkman here in just a second. But unfortunately, COVID-19 infection rates are exploding across the nation. We know it's common sense that everyone should wear a face mask. And finally, most states have put mask mandates in place. Face masks are still our best way to protect ourselves, our family, and our community. But what happens when the mask you thought you were buying is a piece of crap? Well, the FDA has provided a list of authorized respirator mask manufacturers, but finding those masks has been a challenge and verifying their authenticity even harder. Right now, though, thenewdealshop.com has your FDA-authorized respirator masks with anti-fake authentication on every package to ensure they work. These masks are tested by the NPPTL in the United States and provide greater than 95% filtration. Right now, these masks are in stock and ship for free for my listeners when you add the code SEXYLIBERAL. Go to thenewdealshop.com and order your supply today. That's thenewdealshop.com. Get them and keep yourself, your family, and your community safe. Thank you. The Bob Seska Show. I think what's generating a lot of the anxiety at this point is the sense of helpless injustice. Like... Is there anything we can do in the face of this obvious injustice that we see in our Twitter timelines every day? One video after another, whether it was the actual murder of George Floyd or all of the law enforcement injustice that has occurred in the wake of that, all those things combine into that sense of what can be done now. And especially when you lump into the equation, the fact that we're supposed to be isolating and so on due to the virus (laughs) and what can we do out in the streets when we know that's probably a dangerous thing. And then we feel, I guess, almost ground to a a standstill in some ways. I feel like, and I feel like the pandemic brought this up a lot for people, this lack of control, Mm -hmm. but we've never had control. Like I was joking about it on, my podcast the other day, I was like, we were born. No one asked to be born. Yeah. Then you're born. Then you celebrate birthdays. And then someone drops this one on you. Oh, you don't live the whole time. What do you mean? You die. When? Oh, we don't know. What the fuck? Like we have never had any control. We have no control over the biggest thing ever, life and death. So, um, we do have some control over 
I, now I don't know what it is, but I am, I, I feel like it's one of those things we have to look at almost the way we look at voting or anything else. What am I doing? And am I encouraging others to do the same? And if everyone did this, we have to look at it from that way. I can't jump in and save this, but if everyone did these three things that I'm doing, then the world will start to change. And I do think the onus is a little bit more on people who own corporations and what, you know, are all their employees white and people who put out media and art, you know, network executives. You know, I think smaller people like yourself and myself, it's mm -hmm. like, just keep amplifying the right messages, donate where we can. If people can march great, if they can't, I think that's perfectly understood. Yeah. Um, you know, be a lifelong student of this. It's not just the new hot thing, you know, check our own. I mean, I think a lot of it, and it seems like it doesn't help, but I do think it does is like looking at ourselves for the first time. And like, we all know we have white privilege and we're all happy to say it. I've got white privilege, but the way I say it, I, I've been saying it as I look in my heart, it's like, but I don't want it. That's like the yeah. parentheses. And it's like, yeah, but yeah, but I have it. So don't not look at it. And so I think it's okay if white people right now just keep amplifying the right messages, yeah. donating where they can, but institutional change doesn't just come from, oh, these guys that are murdering everyone. I mean, mm -hmm. all of us are part of it in our own small way. And so I think that's the hard part, but you know, I'm not out in the streets and I do feel I don't feel overly guilty about it because yeah. that doesn't help anybody, but I'm at risk for COVID with, I have some lung and asthma issues, so I'm just not fucking with it. Mm -hmm. But the, the, I have a little bit of guilt about that, but I, it's a waste of time for me to sit around feeling bad. But you know, of course there'd be some Twitter warrior, always a white person who would be like, you know, <laughs> but I'm not going to pretend I'm protesting, but I certainly don't advertise that I'm not except here on the Bob Seska show. There's going to be a secondary health crisis that is going to be added on top of the uh, viral health crisis, and that is a secondary epidemic of mental health issues, the post-traumatic stress of dealing with a virus on top of the social injustice. Those two things combined, I think it could create this uh, possibility of another epidemic of mental health issues. In fact, I think the United yeah. States in general is suffering from just a societal nervous breakdown. Are you seeing the same thing too, or do you think it's more individualized? No, I think you're right. It's collective. And, and I yeah. love what you've been saying, that it's a, it's a American nervous breakdown. It really is. And I think that it's just overwhelming. It's nonstop. And I think mm -hmm. there's, uh, and then on the individual level, I think people think if I don't know about everything, every single second, I'm a bad person oh, yeah. and I must stay connected at all times to the news. And I took Twitter off my phone. It was the best thing I ever did. And I don't enjoy looking at it. It's not like hard for me to stay off it. And some days I usually has everything to do with procrastinating a writing project. I go on, I look at this, but I don't feel guilt. You know, it's like, people used to just read a newspaper and know what's going on. And, and we know what's going on. If you pick your issues that matter to you, look, you know, research them on your own every day for a few, whatever, an hour, whatever it is, mm. maybe every other day, we do not need to be this plugged in every second. And nobody is an unwoke bad person for not. And, you know, all these things I worked on my whole life, like not having quick emotional reactions to things is kind of the culture we live in. And on the individualized level, I think in a good way, this nervous breakdown is making people, and I'm talking more about this, this bullshit 
Instagram culture of I'm an influencer and, and I'm always hustling and I do this and I do wellness and all this like just constant busyness. I feel like maybe that will change, but the anxiety that, I mean, Trump has really qualified all of us for an Al-Anon program. It's like having the alcoholic crazy parent. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I think that it all comes down to, that's why I've been talking about anxiety a lot. It all comes down to, I, I don't know how to explain it. I mean, you and I grew up in the 80s with the threat of the Cold War and, yeah. and nukes. And there's always been uh, horrible things happening. You know, big thing in the 80s was Ethiopia. Everyone's starving. And, of course, there was racism and the crack and all, everything. But mm-hmm. we were able to still – I don't mean this from a white perspective. I'm, I'm trying to explain that, like, there was a constant threat of nuclear war, and it caused us anxiety. But it didn't – it wasn't unpredictable. I don't know. That's, that's what it is. There's an unpredictability every day where yeah. it's like, okay, we're either going to get nuked or we're not. I trust people are working towards a solution. It's a little scary. We kind of know this ends one of two ways. With Trump, we don't know how anything ends. We don't know if the DOJ is on our side. Are there adults left in the White House? I, when, when the generals came out against him, I was shocked. I was like, it, everything just makes – I don't know – And when people go, the National Guard won't take orders from Trump, I go, I don't mean to be rude. My apologies to the National Guard, which I think is a wonderful thing. I don't know that. You know, I've just lost trust in everything. And that is really unstabilizing. Yeah, it really Um, is. We don't have a leader. And going back to the Cold War analogy, even during the Cold War, we kind of had, I I don't know what the right word is, faith that our leaders were at least sensible enough that they weren't going to get into this mutually assured destruction kind of scenario. Like everyone knew that if you fired off a nuke, there was going to be one coming right back at you. And in that sense, at the very least, Republican, Democrat, or in between, we knew that there was at least a level of reason and rationality to prevent that. And that's one of the reasons why that joke that Reagan told, and he was supposed to be off microphone. He said something about uh, the bombs are going to start flying any second now. I forget exactly what the joke was, but that was destabilizing to us. Like, oh shit, maybe he's not as rational as we thought. But conversely, we're dealing with leadership now at the highest level where we don't know what the fuck they're going to do on Twitter, much less what Donald Trump has the potential to do carrying around the nuclear codes in his uh, pants pocket. And, and the nuclear thing is just one example. I mean, we don't know. I mean, and it's, that's like, that was like our fear at the beginning, and that was in every ad against Trump. And now I'm like, yeah. oh, I forgot about nukes. Like, until we just started talking about it. I'm like, oh, yeah, right. but, but let me ask you this. I, I don't agree with... I do think that Trump is, for lack of a better word, sorry, women, a pussy. And he's in the bunker because he's helpless. But this notion that he's scared, I want people to be really careful when they say that. Maybe he is scared of the protesters and he thinks they're going to break down the door. So, okay, so he's scared. But the overall overarching thing, I don't know how scared he is because he seems to have, with the exception of a few people that stopped him from declaring martial law, mm-hmm. he's got Bill Barr in his pocket. Putin is helping him. What is he scared of exactly? Because he's gotten away with every single thing so far. So yeah. I don't think he's scared. Was scared of what? Joe Biden? I mean, maybe. I mean, that is why we had the impeachment. So he's maybe concerned. But I actually 
when people say, oh, don't worry, he's scared, it's almost like when you talk about don't get happy, like, I feel there's a complacency when people say that, like, we got him now, he's running scared. No, that doesn't mean we got him. Just because he's scared doesn't mean we got anything, Mm because we so far haven't been able to stop him. We've been able to slow the train, but I don't know. I don't like that. I don't like that common thing that people say. Do you? Am I wrong? Talk me out of this. No, that's, that's a really good point, and, and I kind of agree with that sentiment. Um, and, and I say it myself quite a bit that oh, Donald Trump is scared, but it's only in a relative sense. Insofar as I get the sense that Donald Trump has this, I don't know, artificial vibe around him that he's some sort of, you know, twelve foot tall alpha male, and he's this tough guy, this tough masculine guy, but. He's not, not in any sense of the term. In fact, there was a uh, there was a piece written by Tom Nichols, a never Trumper for The Atlantic, where he talked about this exact thing. But it's something that we've been, you know, kind of throwing out there on social media occasionally. And that is that Donald Trump is actually a, a very whiny, insecure, vain. Um, it, it, and that's all in comparison to the norm. And so. Yeah. A lot of his behavior emerges out of a sense of fear. And that is all in relation to misappropriated masculinity that he gets attributed with by Fox News Channel, AM Talk Radio, and, and the usual suspects. Like, oh, yes, he's this masculine guy. But he's not. He, because everything he does yeah. is based on a reaction out of self-preservation. It's like a, an animal that's caught in a snare or something. They just start freaking out <laughs> to the point where they almost gnaw well, off their own right. limb. You know what I mean? Yeah, so it's like every single movie makes comes from fear and the malignant narcissism that's all tied in. Yeah. And, and, and I think Tom said this, I did read it, or someone said this, or Rick Wilson or someone, some never Trumper said, that if you push back a little bit, he runs scared. Right. And I do believe that. My only worry is that he knows that, and that's why he surrounded himself with people who don't push back. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's trained other people to be as afraid as he is, so that's why the entire GOP just folded. So I think there's um, – I just don't know who is going to uphold the law when it comes to voter suppression. or You know, the one thing that, that did hearten me is – it is an interesting confluence of now everyone's in the streets nonstop during a pandemic. Yeah. And I think it, it was the tipping point, but we haven't had that tipping point with guns, with gun violence mm-hmm. and marches. And I think it had to be because people have been cooped up for three months and they have the free time and they're just like, fuck this shit, you know? And so I think it's also because there was a pandemic that, people were just bursting out of their homes to protest this. Um, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, what heartens me is I was afraid people would be too afraid to go vote in November. Now this has blown that completely out of the water. People will totally go vote if they'll go, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that makes me happy at least that I, I don't think people, maybe old people that can't drive that hopefully they'll vote by mail, but, but it just all these little things with, with everything he's in the bunker and it's funny to make fun of him, but what's going on with the post office that he's trying to destroy because he doesn't want mail in voting. You know, I, I, people get so easily distracted that they lose their own sense of, Hey, what I'm a smart person who pays attention to politics. Yeah. What should I be keeping my, I always say we all have to be, like Bill Murray's brother at the end of Caddyshack. <laughs> While everyone's partying and they think they've won, 
And Danny Noonan's like, shit, whatever his name is, Murray. What is his name? Uh, Brian Doyle Murray. Brian Doyle Murray is watching that ball, and everyone else is reacting to something over there. And boom, it goes in, and he's like, it's in, and then everyone reacts the other way. So it's mm-hmm. like, we got to be Brian Doyle Murray and Caddyshack. Yeah. Keep our eye on some ball of our choosing and make sure that every day we don't just get sucked in. Let's make fun of him for being in the bunker. Cause you know, I'm also not a fan of poking at the man because it makes him go like we poked at him and he wants everyone in New York to die. We poked at him of Corona. We poked at him and he wants every time there's a fire in California, he defunds <laughs> the fire department. Like just go to work and never mind with the tweeting and the hashtagging fun to humiliate him, but there is a price for it. And yeah. it's like, you be, I think we all should be collectively a little smarter about looking at what can be done in the chaos. Right. Cause right. they're doing shit. That's what I mean. He's not just sitting there scared in the bunker. He's got a million people, evil fuck that are way smarter than him working for him. that are like, good. We've distracted everybody. Now let's get rid of the post office. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and I am spending a lot less time, yelling at him directly on Twitter. Like, I just had this thing going where it was cathartic for me to respond directly to him, to quote tweet something he said, and then to address him personally, which I still do now and then, but a lot less often. Instead, what I'll do is I'll quote tweet him, and then I'll say something in general. Because, you know, there is this other aspect to him tweeting and to us being able to respond to his tweets insofar as he can go around saying, I'm a transparent president because I let the people yell at me back. I'm just not the only one doing the yelling. I'm letting the people yell back at me. You could make some argument that it's very Jacksonian. It's like Andrew Jackson and the big block of cheese in the White House where he lets the people come in and have their say. And, and, but it's not, right. it's, it, it actually kind of empowers him a little bit. I can, I can really see that because I understand the, the urge to do it. He's a bully and you want to bully the bully back. Right. And I think sometimes it's fun to do. And, and, you know, listen, if it gets people can get you more attention and then people will start listening to not you physically, but your message. So I think it's fine. I just go, you know, there's been times on Twitter where he was talking about the mail in voting thing and the post office. And, uh, I mentioned that he wants to kill the post office and somebody corrected me, and they're like, no, he's just worried about mail-in voting. I'm like, yes, you dumb fuck. But I'm saying he's going to go as far as to get rid of the Postal Service. And they were like, mm-hmm. I don't think so. And it's like that kind of thing. I go, why? Why aren't you thinking one step ahead? Maybe those people, you know, you can walk and chew gum. You can think one step ahead. You've been talking forever about him trying to extend his term by yeah. saying they didn't let me get anything done. And you're thinking one step ahead. And then you, someone like you, can go make fun of them because you've done your homework. <laughs> I think most people think they're, I don't know what, like, I think the way we own him is we think like him and we get ahead of it and try to, you know, we meet him when his troops come marching towards us. We're already there waiting. Yeah, yeah. Instead of just reacting to every single thing he does and spazzing out, which is, as I say, it's like a collective group of people who are, you know, afraid of their alcoholic dad, like, eventually you have to have a plan and an intervention and a thing. I don't know. I have an alcohol depth. You know, I'm just saying yeah. like he is traumatizing all of his children, which are us. And uh, a lot of times people respond to trauma by just acting like the person. And I, 
I just think we've got to be smart. Like you said, don't get happy. Don't get lazy. Don't, you know, no one is coming to save us. We've learned this when we found out the scope of the Mueller investigation was Mm. what we thought it was. Like, no one is going to save us. I feel as if the solution has always been to turn the fire hose of news around onto him rather than constantly responding to what he's saying get him to the place where he's having to field the things that we're saying. How would you turn the, <clears throat> the fire hose of news on him? Do you mean like news outlets like MSNBC, CNN, they could just, instead of reacting to what he said that day, just come to the table for the day with an independent report about something? Is that what you mean? Kind well, of? yeah, yeah. I mean, I think as an example of turning the f- fire hose of news on him, the entire impeachment process. I mean, I think that was a real, yeah. that was the culmination of what I thought you know, maybe not necessarily when it comes to impeachment, but from the very beginning, there should have been something that, just like with Barack Obama and the Republicans investigating every last thing, and of course not finding anything because it was all bogus, but they were constantly going at Barack Obama with one thing or another. And he didn't always take, because he was, of course, a decent man and he was a smart man and he understood politics. And so he didn't always take the bait. But with Donald Trump, I think it's very easy for him to take the bait. He can't help but to take the bait. So you hit him with an impeachment and he's going to be preoccupied with that. He's going to be so preoccupied with that that he's going to be less inclined to just sit and go, hey, what does this button do? If I start saying, hmm, maybe we maybe we should start testing nuclear weapons again, uh, or you know, just whatever crazy, maybe we should buy Greenland, or maybe we should nuke hurricanes, crap like that, that w- then we all have yeah. to jump onto, just as you were saying before, that we all have to respond to that. Well, rather than doing that, I guess the word is proactive. I guess the closest thing are those Lincoln Project ads. Oh, yeah, yeah. Every day are just, it's it's like what you're saying. Like I was saying before, I don't think Mm. we should bait him, but it's the perfect thing. They bait him perfectly because he reacts and yet distracts him from what does this button do? And hopefully, hopefully those ads get to a point where they say vote for Joe Biden. We can talk about Trump all we want. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe the best we can hope is that people just don't vote like the people that were going to vote for him. I suppose that I suppose that helps. I don't know. Actually, I know it doesn't help when liberals don't vote, but maybe the best that can be said of people who loved Trump but would never vote for them are that they don't. I don't know what the point of those ads are. I just wish they'd get a little bit or maybe they don't want to affiliate themselves with Joe Biden so that. Uh, if like for all the right reasons so that they don't yeah. mess up his campaign. But but I love those ads and how Trump literally reacts to them every day or every time they come out. I don't I worry. How are you feeling about the outcome of the election at this point? Are you feeling hopeful? Or are you feeling like, oh, shit, we need to get ready for a second term? Uh, where are you at this point? I live in this space between two extremes. Mm-hmm. One is I am eternally hopeful it is not a trait I have cultivated, worked on, tried to have. It is just born in me. I am hopeful always. I hate it about myself. But I have this feeling that Joe will win. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also very much aware that Putin helped Trump win last time. Yeah. And they have only gotten closer in the last four years. Um I'm not worried about any of the nonsense that he won't leave the White House. That, that might even be fun to see 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, So I live in between those two things, which is I think we're done here and it's going to happen. That being said, I worry that people get complacent. Uh, You guys take it from here. Yeah. And we're going to go back underground and ignore everything. Now, Trumpism is not dead. This is like Stranger Things. You know what's going to happen next season. (laughs) Here comes the thing again. You know, so let's not, you know, life has changed forever because Trump was president. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't end because he's out. Like, the work is still there. Okay, so that's how I feel about the election. The other part of me feels really scared and hopeless. And I want to, I I would like to move to Canada or Amsterdam. And I am... (laughs) just for fun because I've got the time researching how to do that without having a husband or job in either place. <laughs> Usually that kind of helps <laughs> one gain citizenship. Yeah. And I panic because I think I would love to fly out of the country just for a few months during the election in case the shit hits the fan, but then there's COVID and I don't want to get on a plane. So right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. those are the thoughts as, as you, as if an alien was observing me as I wander from, my office, to the living room, the kitchen. <laughs> I look like nothing's going on, but those are the thoughts that are in a constant loop. It's yeah. going to be great. Biden and Kamala, VP, that's what I want. They're winning. It's going to be good. Oh, my God, I need to leave the country. Well, there's a pandemic. I'll get COVID on the plane and then end up in a ventilator. Oh, my God, Joe Biden's going to win. It's just a constant loop with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I-, I wish I had some of that hope, uh, and I... Uh, I am just intensely nervous because I, you know, I compared it this way on my show yesterday, which is that I feel like uh, the old man in the sea. I feel like the Ernest Hemingway story where you're, you know, you catch this big fish and you got to drag it all the way to shore and there are sharks taking giant bites out of it and the shore being November 3rd. uh, And, (laughs) and we have a tendency in this country, liberals specifically to snatch uh, uh, a defeat from the jaws of victory or however that <laughs> however that metaphor goes oh yeah 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 yep. and so that's my main point of no, concern I mean, yeah. yeah well that's the thing is i'm you know as we all remember october surprises are a thing so i'm not thinking about the election until maybe october yeah so that's also it i'm in this sort of uh middle zone where i'm thinking about other things and my political, other things politically, and then the election I'll think about come October because anything could happen. Yeah. But so it's sort of like this in the back of my mind, and I'm really trying to enjoy. There's a lot of stuff I love about sheltering in place. I'm just trying mm-hmm. to enjoy all of the small, glorious things every day as I once in a while go, oh my fucking God, it's an election year. <laughs> You know what? Your attitude is so inspiring, Jen. I, I really appreciate all of the time that you spent today uh, on the show. And, and thank oh. you so much. We got to get together again on the show again and not wait another year and a half before uh, it happens. Maybe before the election at some point. We'll, we'll get together. And, uh, I would love to. And and I'm not joking when I say this. I canceled my entire tour for the year. Um, I am not going anywhere, not even the grocery store, until there's a vaccine. So wow. I've got the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And did you just, I am here. Did you just recently start yeah. a Patreon page, or is that something that you've had for a while? I started it in March. Weirdly, nothing to do with the pandemic, but because I was going to um, tour less, I thought, you know, I love doing my podcast, which yeah. is just me talking for an hour a week 
about what's going on in my head. And sometimes the world is not overly political though at all. Um, it's sort of like an improvised comedy special every week. And mm-hmm. so, um, I do that. Uh, it's called having fun listeners with Jen Kirkman. It's a free podcast. You can listen to it wherever you get your podcast, but I started a Patreon component where there are bonus episodes every week and the video version is on there. So people can enjoy my various things I've been doing to my hair in quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've been following the saga of you growing your bangs out. <laughs> I just bleached them. So they're like, my bangs are a different color than the rest of my hair, but it looks kind of cool. <laughs> but I might've burned them off a little bit. I'm growing them out. There's a lot going on over here. But anyway, so yeah, patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. And, there you People go. can join anywhere from $5 in $5 increments all the way up to 35 So, And I'm a Patreon member of the Bob Seska Show. Yes, you are. And every time I crack the mic, I go, God, I hope Jen likes this show. <laughs> I hope Jen likes oh, this one. so nice. I love every episode. I love, I get so excited when I listen and I'm like, oh, it's over. And then I remember, oh, the postmortem show. That's right. I get 20 extra bonus minutes. And so it's, you know, and I feel like people, here's the thing. This is what I always say to my Patreon people. And I'm giving you an ad right now is if you have the extra money, but you go, I really, I don't need any 20 minutes bonus. I don't need all the extras. Then don't listen to them. Just give the man the money once a month. This is his job. There you go. And, uh, it's there for you. If you ever need it, if, if, you know, you're supporting something, that means something to you. And if you have the money, throw your credit card in. It automatically deducts. You don't even have to look at it. Don't look at your bank statements. Don't listen to his extra content. Just give him money. I'm going to extract <laughs> this and use this as a running advertisement on the show. Here's Jen Kirkman I... for the Bob Seska show. <laughs> I would be honored. Yeah, I love the extra bonus content. But you don't need it, so don't listen to it. Just give it money. <laughs> That's right. And I desperately need all the money I can get because, as you can tell, the show is being held together by duct tape and spit at this point. So, Well, <laughs> I feel your pain because I know that first of the month when the Patreon money gets added into your account yeah. and then everybody changes their mind or their credit card declines or something and oh, I'm not no. making fun of people or who are having financial hardships. We all know there's plenty of people that have zero financial hardships. They just lose their card all the time. Mm-hmm. And once you re-up and get a new card, you go, do I even want to do that Patreon? <laughs> nah. And these people have plenty of money. I'm not talking about that truly broke or poor. I'm talking about people with money that are just like, what? Oh, I don't know. Don't be that person. <laughs> all right, Jen. Well, thank you so much you. Uh, today. Yeah. Love you so much. We'll talk to you next time. Give my love to Kimberly Johnson. I'll see you guys again. I will absolutely do that. Take care. Bye-bye.